Normal tradition in this church over the years was that basically Sunday school would be uh, stopped in June until August. And last year, of course, I'm just a reminder, we had a congregational meeting, and there were many that wanted to keep it going through the summer, which is wonderful. The reason I'm saying that is that we're not in Acts chapter 18 right now. We're going to start that back in the fall. That's going to be our regular class, like from September until May, and we're going to pick up on Paul's missionary journey. So in the summer, we try to do things a little bit different. Pastor Coleman had a few weeks ago, he had a video. We're going to have some more of that probably coming up. And in the meantime, we started on a little series last week, which I think it's worth to continue on. We'll do some review for those of you that weren't here last week. But we're talking about the canonization of Scripture and why is Scripture important and how do we know that the Bible we read, is, is the Bible that we're reading, is no different than any other book? How do we know that it's different? How do we know that it's the one that we can count on to know unequivocally that this is where we are supposed to be studying and we know that it's definitely inspired of God? Well, we're going to read some verses this morning. We're going to go through some uh, different applications, and I think that we'll get a way better understanding, Lord willing. I'm going to start with Psalm 119. This is not going to necessarily be an expository, expository teaching like I usually do. More topical, but there's a lot of verses and a lot of discussion I'm hoping that we can have this morning. So basically, what was David's view of Scripture? And I want, and we're going to read Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16, and basically to start the lesson, pick out the words in this text that describes Scripture and how David refers to it. So, Psalm 119 is actually the heading in my Bible says, Sundry Prayers and Praises. This is basically David's prayer to the Lord of Thanksgiving. He says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart, then I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes, O oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. So there are different catchwords here that David uses as he opens up Psalm 119. He's talking about how he loves God's word. Does anybody recognize some of the words in here that he's talking about regarding Scripture? What God's word? Matthew. Exactly. Remember the Ark of the Covenant. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody remember? Yes, thank you. It was Moses' rod was in there, and there was something else. Very, very important. And boy, would we love to find that today, wouldn't we? I don't know, we might be a little afraid opening it up. <laughs> Jacob. That's in there, but then there's a third. There's, there were three things in it. 
That's it. And look in these verses. The law of the Lord. We see different verses. Now, Matthew picked one out. Well, we see the word. Word is in here many times. But there's also parallel words that talk about, you know, and I like to put it this way. These words accentuate our whole application in our lesson this morning. Because all the words in here, in these first 16 verses, these different words that explain what God's word is, they expound the attributes of God's word and how important it is. And we're going to see how important it is through our confession of faith here in a minute. But look at some of the other words. Does anybody notice here in verse 2, we see the word testimony, okay? Now, right now we see that we are to love God's word with our whole heart. Could someone look up Psalm 119.34? You're not far if you're still in Psalm 119. Go ahead. With my whole heart. What does that mean? My whole heart. That means with everything in my being, my whole heart, my soul, that this book, David considered this book, this writing, to be the epitome of what we are supposed to love and learn. You have to remember, David had been living long enough and the earth had been around long enough that there were many manuscripts in Egypt. There were many scientific manuscripts in the medical field, science, botany, all kinds of different fields. And with all these writings that were out there, back then there was, of course, no social media. They didn't have any computers. There was no telephones, cell phones. It was nothing. And all you had was script. And so with all this script of all of the books, this is the one that David magnifies. Matthew says testimony. What are the words? Anybody see any other words in here that describe Scripture, that describe the Word of God? What's that? Statutes. That's the one. That comes up more than any other word in those 16 verses. And if you read Psalm 119, statute goes all throughout. It's just woven into the whole of Psalm 119, hundreds of verses. Look at that. His statutes. That's, a, that's an excellent one. We see also in verse 4. Can anybody pick out a word there in verse 4 that also speaks of God's word? Some of you this might be very familiar to because this was a very good Bible study years ago. Lisa, right. Who is the, who is the lady who had the precepts? She had the Bible study? K. Arthur. Anybody remember that? And that was a way of describing the applications and the words that we need to learn about Scripture. Precepts. So far we have testimony. Precepts. Statute. What about verse 6? Anybody see a word there? Yes. And there, what's in the Ark of the Covenant? God's law. God's word. And then we see, look in verse 7. Anybody can pick out uh, a terminology there regarding God's word. Yes. Excellent. Righteous judgments. I love that. That That is a way of really stretching and expounding God's word. We see it's his testimony. There are statutes, the dominion mandates for us, righteous judgments. They're righteous judgments, and they're wonderful. You know, until we go to Psalm 19, David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That's how much power it has. And so, I love this opening in Psalm 119, verse 8, just as we heard a few minutes ago. I will keep thy statutes, O forsake me not utterly. But there's teachableness here. Can someone look up Ezra chapter 8, verse 21? And read that. 
These are teachable, and they're very important for us to have in our heart to teach them to our families and to our children. Daily Bible studies are very, very important. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, if anyone has that. Amen. It's a proclamation. We see Jacob just read that to proclaim. It's a proclamation. And it's a standard by which when we have a question in any area of our life that we're not concerned, I mean that we're not that we are concerned about, that we're not sure about, there's the standard that we have. I can give you an example in the last in the last two years, I can give you examples of two people in Lisa in my life. A friend that goes way back to when she was in high school and a friend that I knew when I was about 15 years old, both of them are really struggling right now. They have lots of friends and they have lots of family around them, but it's incredible. Both of them, when they're going through their rough times, with the most intimate personal information, they have only contacted her and I because she gives her friend scripture and I give my friend scripture. And yes, two days ago, my one friend that I hadn't heard from in months, who's really struggling, he said... I'm slipping, I'm afraid of my sin. Tim, please send me something comforting. And I went right to Acts chapter 16 and sent him the whole story of the Philippian jail. And all he said was, wow. No one has heard from him in months. He's, he's actually left his house and he's, he's living somewhere in Texas and no one can find him. And out of nowhere, I get this text message. I didn't even know, I don't know where he was. I hadn't heard from him in so long. But I sent these verses and then I sent these verses from Psalms. What else? It has nothing to do at all with me. It's these verses. And people are magnetized to them because there's nothing more beautifully written that can pierce the heart better than these what we just talked about. Testimonies, statues, proclamations, righteous judgments, commandments, and the law of the Lord. Perfect converting the soul. Lisey. Yes, yes. Right. Right. We got, we got to talk about that for a second. That's very important to this application. The Ethiopian eunuch. Does anybody remember what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? He was Ethiopian. Think about that. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was sitting on his horse and carriage, and he's sitting there as he's reading the script. He has the Old Testament... He's asking questions, and there's all kind of details. This, is, this could take all morning. I love the story. It's great to bring that up. And there's the deacon Philip, and he overhears it, and he starts chasing him on foot with his horse and buggy and his, and his, and his, uh, his carriage, and he goes over, he goes, what's the matter? And Ethiopia goes, I don't understand these verses. And Philip goes, and it's, it's Isaiah 53. He starts talking, and he explains it to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch it's God's word, and it causes this man of great renown and of great, he had great power to just melt. And he loved those words. I mean, we see this over and over in Scripture. What happens with God's word? What happens when God's word is said in the Old Testament, and it's, Greg brought it up last week. He brought up an incredible application last week. The canonization of Scripture, how do we know that it's inerrant? Because every time God gave a prophecy, what happened, Greg? He fulfilled it. To this day! 
Last night we were reading in our Bible studies in Matthew chapter 24, we were reading about the, uh, uh, the Olivet Discourse. And we were talking about how Christ said in the last days there will be hate amongst each other. There will be discord. There will be nations rising against nation. There will be earthquakes. There's going to be famines in the land and pestilences. Look around us right now. Everything Christ talked about is happening right now. And he talks about the gospel going out into all the world. But look at his word. And here we read Psalm 119, verses 116, pulling out these incredible, incredible words. And we're going to go forward here, but he says in verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Here today, I mean, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, an old saying. But today, the commandments don't mean a whole lot. Well, I was talking to Dave, Dave, Dave and Lisey's friend the other night, Doug Thompson. He said he saw a t-shirt. i got to bring this up because I love it. And I'm going to probably get this wrong, so you have to help me with it if you saw it. But he said he saw a t-shirt, and he said, I wish I had that t-shirt. And it said, it said Lord, where are you? Something to the effect of kids are getting hurt in our schools, and all these things are happening in our schools, blah, blah, blah. And the response from the Lord is, well, you've taken me out of all your schools. <laughs> As if to say, what do you want me to do? Not that, not that God's like that, but that's, I've seen that. I can't remember the exact wording, but you've taken me out of all of your schools. Sadly, he's been taken out of most churches. <laughs> really, the, the commandments. But David says, please, he begs the Lord. Over and over again, the Lord, David, if you want to learn how to pray, just read seven, the seven penitential psalms. You'll learn how to pray real quick when you see David crying out to the Lord. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and when there's four more. I think Psalm 102 is one. I used to have them memorized. But anyway, there's three of them right there, and they're good. And David always asks the Lord, expose my heart. Expose my inner soul. Purge me with hyssop, so I, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be weighted in snow. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall encompass him about. Good verses, wonderful verses. But anyway, David says here, he says, first in verse 10, connected to verse 11, O let me not wonder from thy commandments why that I might not sin against thee. That's a good prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. He's talking about, he here is in these first 16 verses of Psalm 19, has beautifully defined the fact that these are the words of God, the holy inspired word of God. He said, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. He, says, he doesn't say my testimonies, they're your testimonies, Lord as much as in all riches. Now, David was a pretty rich man. David was a sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a master poet, master musician. Basically, he was the king of the world. He was. And he said, I love thy word as much as thy riches. And what was Solomon asking? Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. How? How could he know about wisdom without God's word? There is no way to know about wisdom without God's word. I will meditate in thy precepts. There's another word. I, and have respect unto thy ways. And thy precepts and thy ways, he parallels them. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Do you delight yourself in the statutes of God? That is a big question. Lisa. Right. 
Mm -hmm. Ezra 8.20, when we just read that, teachableness. That's good. Yep. Amen. Right. Yes. Right. It's etched in stone. Where did that term come from? Scripture. Right. That's, that's fantastic. Precepts, statutes, judgments. I like to say it over and over again. Repetition is good. It's wonderful. Because when you ever question the Bible, just remember, it's God's statutes. It's wonderful. I'm going to read a verse, and then i got another question for the floor. And I want you to be thinking about this question. Where do you where, what do you, what's on your heart, where do you think of in Scripture where God's Word was magnified and used in a wonderful way? Think about that. If you have any, there, there's the miracles of Christ, there's the prophets, the prophecies, there's the crucifixion. All. And then, go ahead, Lisa, and I'm going to read this verse. Go ahead. Sure, let me read this, and then you go right ahead. You start it off, and that would be wonderful to have a chain reaction here. Okay? But what I'm trying to get at is we're reading David's words that are God's words. Then we're reading Jeremiah. Right now, he agrees. And then we're going to go see what Lisi has to say. And this, I think this is very interesting. Jeremiah 23, 22, But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. God's word. Go ahead, Lisey. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. Right. Mm. Isaiah 9. That's what it was. They shall call him Wonderful Counselor. You were close. Excellent. Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father. That, those are big words. Wonderful counselor. And those are the words of the Lord. Well, we could go both ways with this. What do you remember in Scripture that was used as a blessing honoring God's Word? Or when was it used as an instrument of God's wrath against when someone did not use God's Word? There are a lot of instances in Scripture. There, there, there's, there's a lot of examples or whatever the Lord has on your heart about God's Word. Where was it used? How was it expounded on? One of the, one of the things I think of, to start off, Samson. Samson had God's Word. He was told to stay away from the pagan women. 
And once he had to go outside of that, he lost his wife, he lost his family, and he fell in love with this wicked Philistine woman, Delilah, and look what happened. And he went against God's word, and it says that the Lord withdrew his Holy Spirit from him for a time. And look what happened to Samson when he defied God's word. Look at that. I mean, that's a big one. Eli. Oh, that's a big one. That's right. That's a big one. They didn't last long, did they? Yeah, that was, that was a very hard lesson. Anybody else? I got a big one. Dave. That's a good one. That's God's word personified, right? That's the, we could sit here all morning and talk about those examples. Well, the original example was Moses. Once again, you see the movies, the Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, and Moses looks like the big spiritual giant, and he was. But you go to his very beginnings, and he's like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Lord? How are they ever going to listen to me? How are they ever going to understand? I mean, we were, I mean, I've preached here a few months ago. We were talking about that. I love that. I think I could do that again. He goes, what? What am I supposed to tell these people? Simple. You tell them I am. It's that simple. I am that I am. I am that sent you. I am the God of your fathers. And they'll believe me. They'll believe you. That's my word. Tell them. Do we do that? Can't we just trust the Lord at his word? Do we always have to be coming up with our own devices when people are asking us about religion and we've got to come up with all these words? Just quote scripture. Take, it, take a little track with you. Or take something with Bible verses and quote it. That is the greatest power you will ever have. And it's the only power you need. Moses, that's a good one. There are a lot of instances. But Moses told, I mean, God told Moses how to strike the rock, and he didn't listen, did he? It cost him his vacation in the promised land. <laughs> until, until the, uh, until, uh, what was it called in the, Old Te- the New Testament? Finally, the, um, um, when Peter and all were there, yeah, this mountain of transfiguration. Moses, that's when he got to see the promised land after all that. Look at the examples. There's so many examples. How about Paul? We've been studying Paul. What did the Lord tell Paul? Better yet, I like, you know what really brings out the essence of that whole story while the fact that we're in the middle of it? Is not only what he told Paul, but what he told Ananias. And Ananias said, I'm not going. This guy's Hitler. He's public enemy number one. I don't want nothing to do with this guy. And the Lord says, what was his words? That's right. You go. Right? Wonderful examples. John the Baptist. Baptize me, John. No, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. He goes, do it. Do it. Do what I told you. And he did. That was, in essence, Jesus' inauguration into the ministry. See how important God's word is? All right, well, anybody else? I want to cut you off. Anybody? Dave and Lisa. Good. I mean, Lisa, Dave. Go ahead. That was a, that's a real minor one. <laughs> that was the foundational principles of all of creation. I think, I think we need to concentrate on that one. All he said, what, 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 what was the mandate? Right. Lisa, we'll go back to that in a minute. Right. Right. 
Right. Right. Right. Amen. It is to be it's it, it's to be used in every area of our life. And going back to what Dave said, you know, you bring out the essence of what happened there in the garden. There the Lord had given Adam and Eve every amenity possible every orchard, every beautiful fruit, anything that you couldn't even find in the grocery store, some ornate, very unique things to eat. You couldn't even find some of the beautiful things that was there that the Lord gave them. All the stuff, and he goes, all of this is yours. But that tree, don't touch it. One tree. He could have said, that's all you could do is eat from that one tree and the rest of it, stay away from it. But he said, no, that one tree, stay away from it. And that was it. And then, he didn't, he, and Adam and Eve violated that word. And look what happened. That's what happens when we violate his word. But you know, getting, getting back to what Lisa said, you know, think about if you had a relative. It could be a grandfather, or it could be a great-grandfather, or somebody, a relative, or somebody now that maybe you hadn't seen in a long time, and all of a sudden they send you a letter. They send you this beautiful letter you haven't heard from in a while, and it's sitting there on your desk, or you go to the post office, it's got their name, and you're looking at it, and you're like, wow, what do you want to do? Do you take it home and you stick it on the shelf and let it collect dust for the next 30 years? No, you want to open that up and read it. Well, that's the same thing. That's the way we look at the Scripture. That, that's a beautiful letter written from God teaching us about eternity, teaching us about our future, showing us how important it is that His statutes are woven into our lives and that we teach them to others. I think it's very important. I think we find in our Christian walk that when we are really, we are really following the Lord, what really brings us together is when we can use it to help others when they're hurting. And that's going to happen. When we can use it to uplift others when they're hurting. You know, and you, you know your stories. You know what's in Scripture. And you know that it's amazing how you're going to have people tell you things. And you're going to like, you know, I remember that in the Bible. And then you give them encouragement from that. Well, we're talking about the canonization of Scripture. Last week we gave the definition, everything we know and we love as Christians is based on the Bible, its authorship, its origin, and the reliability of Scripture. And it's a very serious topic. What is canonization, or what is a canon? A general law, rule, principle, or criteria by which something is judged. The appointment violated the canons of fair play and equal opportunity. That is a statement from the Webster's Dictionary to bring out the, kind of bring out the essence of the word, the canon. It's, a, it's, it, it's something that can be judged. It's a criteria. It's a collection of, or list of sacred books accepted as genuine. The authenticity of Scripture is very important to us as Scripture. And we see that this is the formation of biblical canon. And last week, our review was what we talked about very plainly, was the fact that the Bible is being greatly vandalized today. And it's being ripped because there are so many teaching that because of so many man-made reasons, it's not the holy and errant word of God. It's one of many. It should be changed. It should be added to. It should be deleted from. It should be anything but what it is. And what that does is it opens up the authors of this and it opens up the scholars and the educational masters for them to be able to define what it is and for them to be able to talk and be able to critique it. 
And if you can do that, then you can definitely change the meaning. You, it'll never be changed from God and the judgments that He has waiting for those that vandalize His Word. But while people are here on this earth, they come up with millions and millions of dollars being able to change this Bible. And look at the ministries that are out there. They have taken a lot of things out of the Bible just to keep all the fun stuff, just to keep all the entertainment and the gimmicks. Well, we're going to ask a big question here, and now we're going to go into Scripture. So get your Bibles ready. We're going to move. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? And this is from the writers in the 17th century from the Confession of Faith, the Constitution of our Presbyterian Church here, and they gave their lives to write this based on Scripture. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? The first answer, and there are many answers here. Let me see what time. Okay, we're getting there. The Scriptures manifest themselves to be the Word of God by their majesty. That's a good opening. That's a good answer. The Scriptures manifest themselves by the Word of God by their majesty. And the verse we need to read there is Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. Can somebody read that and look that up? And while you're at it, Whoever is looking up Hosea 8.12, another person could look up 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Okay? Start with Hosea. Make sure I got that right. Yep. Hosea 8.12. The I have written to him the things of my law. And they were counted as strange. Well, Hosea is proclaiming, if you're reading the book, and he's called a minor prophet, although I believe they're all major prophets because of their word, but he is talking about how the word of God had become strange. And if you go and you proceed and read Hosea, he manifests the majesty of God and how it is his word. We see that in Isaiah 6, where the angels are proclaiming to the Lord, holy, 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 and showing the majesty of God. There's a series by Ligonier Ministries called The Majesty of God that really brings all of this out in a most wonderful way. The majesty of God, very important. Who has 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7? Thank you. Shoot up to verse 13 and read that, please. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. And the importance of that, we can actually glean from actually going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul makes the opening to the, to the letter to the Corinthians, and he says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the wisdom of the world? And he's saying, here's the wisdom of the world on one hand, here's the majesty and the wisdom of God on the other hand, and he says, all the wisdom of the world is nothing but bankrupt. He says, all of my knowledge, all of my PhDs up until when I was a Pharisee is nothing but dung. And he says that in the prison epistles, I can't remember the verse. He says, I count it all but dung. And he says, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Lord must prevail. And he told, he was going in that chapter, he goes against the Greeks, he goes against the Romans, he goes against the disobedient Jews, and he talks about the cross and how the cross of Jesus Christ, it distinguishes and it disturbs. It's very disturbing to those that don't believe in the gospel 
Because here you see there were Jews all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that were preaching about God, but they had no connection to Christ as the Messiah whatsoever. The Pharisees hated that. The Sadducees took it to a whole other level, and they completely defied that there was even a resurrection. And there Christ comes. We're talking Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, about when he comes to his synagogue, his temple, in his hometown, and he talks about the woman at Sarepta, talks about Naaman, and what do they want to do? They followed him into the streets, and they said, Hosanna, and they loved him, and they, and they wrenched him with their arms, and they said, he's finally arrived. No, what actually happened? They took him to throw him over a hill. <laughs> they tried to kill him. Lisa. Right. That's right. And it's supposed to be taught, and it's supposed to be, it must be taught, as Pastor Olson taught us a few weeks ago, in spirit and in truth the whole counsel of the Bible. And you do that by preaching verse by verse. I think that's important, and he does a wonderful job there. Okay, so there's a question. How does it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? First, by majesty. Oh, the second one, by purity. That's incredible. Let's look up, who could look up Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Somebody look up Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. And then someone else look up Psalm chapter 119, verse 140. The purity. This is the second answer. Why does it appear that scriptures are the word of God? Because of their majesty, their majestic beauty, transcendent majesty, and their perfect righteousness, their purity. Okay, who can read Psalm 12, 6? Well, if you know anything about blacksmithing, whenever you heat something up or silver that much, it takes out all the infirmities, it takes out all the impurities, and it comes out beautiful, and it can be shined, and it can be worth a lot of money. And look at that, and that's what Scripture is like. They're pure words. They are silver tried in a furnace. Furnace, Proverbs, what does Proverbs say? The book of iron sharpeneth iron. See that, how important that is? Psalm 119, 140. Who has that? Great. Thank you, Faith, and thank you, Nancy. Reading those two verses. Look at that. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. And that is an extension of Psalm 119. We started off in the first 16 verses. What a beautiful way to start off. And there's hundreds of verses that David, all throughout this chapter, talks about the purity of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, that goes back to Psalm 19, but he also comes back and he says it. In Psalm 119, it's precepts, statutes, testimonies, and how, how he loves it. Lisa. Yes. Yes. 
right? They're not falling into the evil hands of these uh, very worldly theological scholars that say that the Scriptures contradict itself. They say that the Old Testament contradicts the New Testament, the Gospels contradict themselves, and they try to pit them against each other, but it can't be done. They refine each other. It is iron sharpening iron. That's a very good point. Okay, so the first two. The gods, we see that the Scriptures manifest themselves to be the Word of God by the majesty and purity and by the consent of all the parts. Exactly what Lisa just said. That's the next point. By the consent of all the parts of Scripture. And we'd see here, let's, who could read Acts chapter 10, verse 43? And then someone else read Acts chapter 26, verse 22. That key word here is all. It's very important. By the consent of all the parts. Amen. To him give all the prophets witness. That's important, and the way that that applies to this is it says very plainly, all the prophets agreed with the holy and errant word of God. Going back to what Greg said, when the prophets gave the oracles of God, they were perfectly fulfilled. So they, in and all of them, their own parts, they all describe each other, and they lift each other up, and they back it up. You will not see Scripture... You will not see in Scripture words of contradiction. Any of the prophets, any of the apostles, any of the disciples, and of course Christ himself saying that was wrong in the Old Testament. What God said in the Old Testament was wrong, and it didn't happen, and it's a lie. You'll never see that it, in all of its parts. It's, it's perfectly cohesive. Lisi. That's right. That's exactly right. And it, the, there are many instances of that in the Old Testament where the prophets would come out and say, if the Lord didn't say it, you better watch out. Big time. That's a good point. So we've got three important, very important words right here in applications about the question we're answering right now, how doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? Number one, their majesty. Number two, the purity. Number three, by the consent of all the parts. Who has the next verse? Acts, that's chapter 26, verse 22. How can we put that into words? How can we put that together? Well, you go into the book of Acts. You know it's written by Dr. Luke. You have to go to the authorship. Acts is written by Dr. Luke describing in two parts. Who are the two parts, the two great, the two great missions, if you almost split the book of Acts down the middle? Who are the two key figures in the book of Acts? Paul? You got it. Peter. Paul and Peter. So in other words, what here we're reading here in the book of Acts, what we just read, thank you Jacob for reading that, we see witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than that which the prophets and Moses did 
say should come to pass. It didn't say pass, but did that should come. But they are saying that all these things should come to pass because they're all in agreement. So here when you read this verse and you hear this application about by the consent of all of its parts, Peter and Paul and Luke is agreeing, going all the way back to the Old Testament with all the prophets, all of them. It doesn't say, well, I agree with this one, but I don't agree with that one. See, that's what you hear in theological debates today. And they're always trying to pick somebody apart. Somebody's got to pick somebody apart to make them look like they know something somebody else doesn't know. But you can't do that with Scripture. You can't sit there and say, okay, all right, I'm a biblical scholar. I agree with Moses. But I tell you what, that Jeremiah, he was a nut. I agree with, I agree with uh, Jonah. <laughs> but Ezekiel was a nut. Now, they said all of the prophets. They all agree all the way down the line. And what they did here in this verse, marrying New Testament with the Old Testament and showing that it all works together. In all, it's a consent in all of its parts. Nothing's left out. So we see here that this is a, after reading the first 16 verses of Psalm 119, which we did, and reading this, we are seeing that the canonization of Scripture is fixed, it's finished, God has confirmed it, and we have our only rule of faith, of obedience. We looked at the words. Once again, let's not forget, for some that weren't here earlier, some of the words that we looked in Psalm 119 that describe Scripture, testimony, statutes, precepts, righteous judgments, God's Word, His law. And David cries out and he says, Here, once again, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. What could be more precious? So we have time for one more and one more. Here we go. By the consent of its parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. I think that's a very good attribute of scriptures. What could be better? It gives all glory to God. You know, one thing you do read in scripture about some of the personal lives of those that were in it, you get all the nuts and bolts of the good and the bad and the ugly, you know? It's not just, it doesn't uplift everybody and make them all look like deity. You see the real raw lives of some of the greatest people that we've ever read about. We saw the good and the bad and the ugly with Moses. We see it with some of Jonah. That's the one we didn't mention this morning about God's word. Who was in more defiance of God's word than Jonah flying off to Tarsus? He's like, I'm not getting on that boat. I'm not going to Nineveh, and I'm going to defy God. And who won? Who always wins? You can, you, can, you can fight the Lord. He will win. He will, he will always win. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. Not some. Not peradventure, perhaps a little bit. All of it. Who, could, who can look up Romans 3, 19? Can you uh, scoot up to verse 27 and read that? Thank you, Faith. Where is boasting then? It is, it is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. All of it. All of it. We don't just take this little thing and then uh, call it the ten suggestions or the ten insinuations, you know. 
It's the Ten Commandments, the Ten Testimonies, the Ten Precepts, the Ten Righteous Judgments of God, right? And we don't put boxes next to certain ones and check this one off. Well, that one, I can, I can do that one, but forget that one. I'm never going to keep that one. You know, and that's what we can have in our lives. There are certain sins that the, the, this law points out, and there's ones that could be really tough for us. And what we do then is we go to the Lord and just beg the Lord <laughs> to, to just stop these things in our lives that are really hurting us, right? But it's all of Scripture, all of the law. It's not for us to cut and paste and try to, like, like what Martin Luther said, make that wax nose and try to change that sculpture. And here, here we see the writers here, the confession. Basically, we're going to stop here, but I'm going to read you the whole answer, and we're going to go to the next part next week. But the whole question and answer goes like this. First, I'm going to start with question and answer three, and then go into four, and I'm going to read it, take a couple seconds, and then it really, I think it brings out the essence of really what we're driving at this morning. What is the Word of God? The Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and obedience. Only. Only rule of faith and obedience. Number four. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? Well, we cover the first four here. The Scriptures manifest themselves to be the Word of God by their majesty and purity, by the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all the glory to God, by their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. But the Spirit of God bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in the heart of man is alone able to fully persuade it that they are the very Word of God. The Word of God proves that it is the Word of God. That is the best way to study the Bible. If you have one of these older Thompson chain Bibles, they're wonderful, because as you're sitting there... All of a sudden you're hurting or something's really happening in your life. You want to get into Scripture and you're sitting and you're reading like, well, what does that mean? You're going to have these little words on the side of your pages, of course. They have other verses. Go to them and keep following them because some of them leave a really awesome trail. They go all throughout Scripture. And you can read them and then you can learn. And the more you learn, the next step is you know that you're really, you're really honoring the Lord when you can use that to help others. And so I think that's a, a, really, a really good... Um, way for us to understand how important it is to know that this is our only rule of faith and obedience. And we'll stop here. We'll start back next week again, going to another part of this. So I'm going to ask, um, ask Brother Dave Heater, could you close us this morning? Thank you.